You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. If I give you a simple formula for self-mastery, will you dismiss it as too simple? Many people will, and that's okay. That's their story, but it's not my story. So, I'll give it anyway. It's four letters that are easy to remember. T-F-A-R. T-F-A-R. They mean thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, and actions lead to results. Simple and life-changing. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I'm excited to announce that our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you, our listeners, a free download of one of your favorite audio books. You get to choose from 180,000 titles. And you also get a one-month free trial of Audible's entire service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. That is www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. For your convenience, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, as well as the website ChangeYourStoryPodcast.com. Because the theme of the show is Change Your Story, Change Your Life, I've created a free gift for you, my listeners. It is an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. You can download it immediately at www.changeyourstorypodcast.com. One of the most rewarding things in this podcast for me is my ongoing dialogue with you, my storytellers, my listeners. Let's continue that dialogue. Keep sending your comments about what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I promise to read every message I receive and to choose some of them to share with you on the show. Today's guest is a living example of that formula. She's an author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach, and a mother of five. She's the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engine Software. She is recognized as one of North America's foremost experts on performance through thought mastery. Her name is Kim Addis, and I'm excited and honored to welcome her to our show. Kim, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today on Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm super, super excited to be here and to be talking to you. Lou, what an honor. Thank you. And just for the benefit of my storytellers, Kim and I actually met about 12 years ago, and we haven't had any contact since. And so when her name came across my desk as a person to possibly interview, I go, wait a minute, I know her. And then I said, yeah, I want to definitely interview her. So let's begin at the beginning. Kim, where were you born? I was born in Montreal, Canada. Where I lived for 12 years. What part of Montreal? <laughs> uh, I, well, I grew up in a place called Dollard des Ormeaux. I'm trying to kind of say it in English and French at the same time, but it's on the West Island of Montreal. Mm -hmm. And were you from a big family? 
I am. I am from a very big family. My uh, my mother had five brothers, and my father had uh, five sisters and a brother. So I was always surrounded with cousins and aunts and uncles, and that's how I grew up. It was a lot of fun. What about siblings? I have a brother and a sister. Um, and we're all very close, even though I live in Toronto now and they still live in Montreal. We're all very, very connected and very close. That's wonderful. What was your childhood like? Describe it. Well, I was the baby. So I came 13 years after my brother and uh, I was very well taken care of. I had many, many parents around me. Um, you know, I, uh, I I didn't lack for anything. My parents were very attentive. They were overprotective in a way. I was very sheltered from a good chunk of my childhood. Uh, I was never left alone. You know, it, it was good. I was, uh, I went to a Protestant school, even though I was Jewish. So that was an interesting piece of my life where I wasn't the norm, I wasn't the average child, uh, but everyone got along. We had we had a great time. I had a really, really nice upbringing. Um, you know, nothing dramatic happened. It was all good. You know, it's interesting you said you were over, overly protected because, um, of course, I didn't know that about you, but um, I don't know, you probably don't know this about me, but I was overly protected. And that was something that I... I had to work on to overcome. It didn't help my confidence level as an adult. Did it affect you in any way? Well, it's interesting because um, I was not the only kid who was overprotected, right? My cousins were overprotected. We're all overprotected, except my parents were very interesting role models, particularly my mother. So well, let me kind of give you a little bit of a setting here. Um, my parents are both Egyptian Jews, which is very unusual in the land of religions and cultures, right? They don't usually come together. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother was the only one of her generation who really went on in her career. So she became a bank manager. And given that she only had a high school education, that was uh, pretty forward thinking. And she drove and she was the one responsible for the finances in the household. So she played a huge role in demonstrating independence and confidence. And you know, I was very shy in the day, but they influenced me strongly. And I think that what happened eventually is I followed in her footsteps. Well, you've answered the next question beautifully, which was who influenced you the most as a child? And it was your mom. Well, just briefly, what did your dad do for a living? What was his, um, his well, occupation? My my dad definitely influenced me also. He was an entrepreneur. He owned a uh, powder coatings business. It's still around and it's quite successful. And so he had a very entrepreneurial, creative spirit. He was really great at sales. He was an inventor. He was a chemist and he built quite a formidable business. And you know, he was the kind of guy who was a very, very big liver. He's the kind of guy who, if he saw new food, he would want to try it. If he was standing in line at a grocery store, he would talk to the person standing beside him. He was just one of these really curious people. And I definitely took on those traits. Hmm, wonderful. That is great to know. And um, when you were a child, most a lot of kids do have some kind of dream about what they want to become when they grow up. Was that you? I don't know that I had a very specific dream, you know, like I want to be a firewoman or anything like that or a doctor. But I do remember one conversation with my aunt when I was maybe seven years old and she asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't, again, I didn't have a specific career in mind, but what came out of my mouth was I want to help people. And that stuck with me for a long time. And I, to the point where I said, what a strange answer. Like, how did I even come up with that? But that's what it was when I was seven. It got kind of didn't change over the years. You know, it, it, it may have felt strange to you, but I've heard this before of uh, young people who, when they're asked that question, say, I want to help. And I, I spoke to a woman who went into... Um, into medicine, and that was her calling from a young, very young age to help other people. So that's it's not as strange as um, it may seem. Now, were you a good student, and did you like school? 
I love school. I, 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 you know, I love being in class. I love being around my friends. I love the feeling of being social. I love school. Was I a great student? You know, I was a B plus, A minus student. I was never the head of the class. I was never at the end of the class or the bottom of the of the list. I was kind of in the middle there, somewhere average. Um, but uh, there were certainly some subjects where I thrived. And if I had the chance to go back to school, I would take it. What uh, what subjects did you uh, were you best at? Did you enjoy most? Yeah, when I got older and I went to university, I think my very best subject was uh, child psychology, and you know it plays a huge role in what I do right now. Do you? I was going to ask you. Do you, do you know why I ask if you were a good student and if you like school? Tell me why. Because uh, I found in the past five or ten years in the circles that I run, that the most successful, most uh, imaginative people, very often, are people who hated school, who did badly in school, who dropped out. We would just, you and I both know a brilliant man named David Wood. David Wood, David Wood hated school. School hated hated, it. Yeah, and school hated him. And, you know, in fact, he loves to tell the story about that teacher who predicted that he would either end up uh, on the street or dead or in jail. And, and of course, today he's a self-made millionaire with a, a very high circle of influence. So... Very, very, very interesting indeed. Have you tested the waters with different kinds of work? Well, yes. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. You could call me a serial entrepreneur. So when I first graduated with an undergraduate degree in psychology, I started a balloon business. And I used to do decorations for people's weddings, bar mitzvahs, special events. Um, I was 20 years old when that started. After that, I owned another business where uh, we used to build simulation-based assessments for the purpose of helping companies make better hiring decisions. And here I am now with a coaching company. So I have definitely tested other careers. I worked for a coaching company for about eight or nine months. I'm not very good at working for other people. So um, a life of of an entrepreneur is definitely my destiny. When you were uh, the second business that you had, where you were helping uh, companies. Yeah. Uh, How old were you when you created that? Oh gosh, I was uh, I was pretty young. I think I started that at around twenty five or so, and I had it for about ten years. I owned it with two other partners. One of them is my ex husband. So I ended up selling my shares at the age of about thirty five. So how did you develop that expertise to offer businesses at the age of twenty five? So I had this idea that uh, really what's missing in the world is the human skill component, right? Life skills. Uh, When I started at the age of 25, I had this idea that I would... Um, that I would help young people in hospitals do better in job scenarios, right? So I would go into high schools and help them with life skills and teach them how to be better employees. And so I ended up getting a team of co-op students and we started to build live in-person skits or we would call them simulations and go from school to school to school to school and play out these skits where something would go wrong and we'd ask an audience member to come and step into the skit and play it out more correctly. And I would facilitate that. Eventually, that morphed into something more serious where we started to build technology around the concept of simulations. And we started to build assessments. And so we started to just get really good at building simulations. We understood how to build technology in such a way that could evaluate someone's skill set. And that's how we, that's how we did it. So this, um, with my background in theater, what you're talking about um, crosses over into the world of improvisation and role role playing. Did you actually study acting at all? No, I just, uh, I try my hand at things and follow, follow my nose when it turns out well. Well, I love that. And you, you said that you created technology. So what, right. kind of, what kind of technology? 
So I'll give you an example. One of the products we built was called the Real Estate Simulator. And so we built this for real estate brokers who are interested in recruiting, selecting, and training new real estate agents, except they didn't know who to recruit and if they would be good. And so this simulator would give a person a chance to play the role of a real estate agent and interact with virtual clients who are interested in buying or selling property. And as they went through that process, their actions would be tracked and then compared with top performance. And so what we discovered after testing hundreds of thousands of people, and, and this product, by the way, became the standard in the real estate industry, I don't know how many years ago, 15 years ago. And so most companies in the United States and Canada were using this product to help them with their recruiting and selection process. And what we discovered was that when we tested for IQ and we tested for personality traits and we tested for skills, there was one thing that kept coming up and surfacing as being more important than anything else we tested for. And that was if a person had a higher degree of emotional resilience, they were going to be more likely to succeed in any industry, in any field, in any position than anyone else. And so that really gave us critical information to help me build this company right here, right now. Wow. Now, this technology, did you invent it? Well, I had a team, right? So it was a team of us. Uh, we had someone who was a developer. We had someone who was a video producer. We had someone who could take this assessment and validate it because he had his PhD. And so, you know, the team together created a product that reflected a variety of skill sets. And at the end of the day, I became the face of the company responsible for sales and marketing and talking to people about the power of these assessments. I love it. That is wonderful. That is unique. It's creative um, and definitely entrepreneurial. So <laughs> you kind of touched on it, but elaborate more on how you actually discovered your role as a coach, which is what you do today? So, you know, life happens, right? So I was married for close to 15 years and my marriage was coming to an end except that we co-owned the business. And, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up selling my shares in the company. And as soon as I sold my shares, I had a few weeks where I was not sure what I was gonna do next, but I got quickly recruited. Uh, by a coaching company who happened to sell coaching to the real estate industry. And I thought that would be a great match for me because their mission in life was to help people live extraordinary lives. I thought, wow, that's really, really for me. I'm excited about that. And I went and I worked for them as their director of marketing. And I learned what they do as coaches and I kind of had a chance to evaluate it and discovered that I wasn't totally in sync with their approach and decided that I thought I could do a better job with a different approach. And typically what I've learned is out there in the coaching world, most companies are focused on helping people attain their goals by holding them accountable to a set of actions. And I thought, that's good, except that, you know, I bet people know what to do. They're just not doing it. And the reason they're not doing it is because of their thinking, or rather, they have a low level of emotional resilience. Right? So I'm connecting the pieces here. And if I can help people build up their emotional resilience and really think differently about their past experiences and their goals and their ability to reach their goals, then I have a winning formula. And that really launched me to create Frame of Mind Coaching. And you have this the software that I mentioned briefly in the intro, which is a software that involves journaling, correct? That's right. So we built a product called Journal Engine. And what is Journal Engine? It's a, it's a private and secure online pr platform that allows me to work with my clients. And what we do is we, um, we license out that software to other speakers, coaches, trainers, other organizations, membership groups, network marketing groups for the purpose of really focusing on development, personal development, leadership development, growth of teams, and helping people reach their goals. And so, I mean, what's the role of journaling in frame of mind coaching? It's really the centerpiece. So how do I coach people? We usually start with 10 weeks. We coach people for six months, but the first 10 weeks are really foundational. What happens in those 10 weeks is there's a call once a week, 
every call is recorded and we ask our clients to listen to the recording so that they could hear themselves they could hear the language they use they could hear the stories they tell you're all about stories so I think you would appreciate that um, and they could hear how they show up and the patterns of thinking that get them trapped over and over and over again and then what we do is we ask them to journal in this online journal every single day for the first 10 weeks of their coaching experience and why do we do that because as a coach I need a lot of data I need to understand how people think in a variety of circumstances and situations so I could see how their thinking is propelling them forward but how sometimes and often quite frankly their thinking is holding them back and getting in the way of their ability to reach their goals and and live the lives that they really want to live and the journal is um, part of the platform they use it online correct Yes, that's exactly right. So they have a login and they coach privately, or sorry, they journal privately with their coach. Fantastic. I love it. You mentioned the words personal development, which I'm passionate about. Have you invested in your own formal personal development training? All the time. All the time. I have right now three coaches I'm working with, uh, one for my physical health, one for my business, and one uh, I'm experimenting with on a project I'm working on, and I've enrolled her to be my coach and see where that takes us. And of the thought leaders who are in the personal development world, who are the ones that you look up to the most? Oh, gosh. I, I look at what Tony Robbins is doing all the time. I keep my eye on him. I keep my eye on uh, the strategic coach and really just to see what they're doing, how they're marketing. Um, I obviously look at David Wood and see what he's up to all the time. Uh, I used to pay attention to Wayne Dyer. And, you know, I have my pulse on a whole bunch of players out there to see what they're doing, how they're doing it, what their orientation is. And I pay a lot of attention to how they market. The strategic coach, I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, they're local. They're in Toronto. And, um, and yeah, they, they work with entrepreneurs. They have a very different business model. And, I, I'm, you know, it's been a while, but uh, they, they gather their entrepreneurs once every quarter. They come to Toronto or wherever the other locations are, and uh, they, they spend two solid days with them coaching, and then they give them a chance to go and implement those things over the next quarter. Hmm. Of course, you mentioned Tony Robbins. I love him. And uh, this, in August, he will be the keynote speaker at the uh, the yearly celebration event for the network marketing company that I'm involved with. Yes, he, really. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, he's going to be speaking for about four hours. And um, I've experienced him before. Those four hours will transform a lot of lives. Yeah, I bet you'll, he'll have you on your feet, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What obstacles did you overcome on your road to success? Well, I'll tell you a story. Early on in when I started coaching, I didn't have Journal Engine. That's a product we built in-house, so I used a product called Blogger. And uh, Blogger didn't have the same level as, of security as we have now, but... I remember one time I had a client and his wife hacked into his journal. Oh boy, was that a, a terrible day for me because he said some pretty awful things about his wife and I felt like in that moment I could feel my heart went into my, my throat. I didn't know what to do with myself, but uh, it, was, it was just really, really scary because I thought I can't keep doing this if there is a security risk. And so that was the moment when I decided to build my own piece of software for that purpose. But it was terrible. It was uh, it was really scary. I didn't know what would happen. My reputation was at risk. So mm. I had to fix that problem fast. Well, what I love about what you just told is a typical of an entrepreneur, you took what presented itself as a problem and you turned it into an asset because now it's a software that you help to create and it's become part of your entire system. That's right. And we license it out. So it's another revenue stream for us. There, there you go. So yeah. you got to go and you got to thank that woman for hacking in. 
you know? There you go. I have to call her up and say thanks. You should call her today. You should take her out for coffee. You know? That's right. Now, when uh, I love that. Um, were there any personal, like, demon obstacles, you know, that kind of, that inner uh, saboteur in you that you had to overcome on your road to success? Well, again, I'll, I'll start by going back to before I even started coaching, when I never coached anybody a day in my life, and I never went to coaching school, and, you know, I didn't have a certification or anything like that. And I thought, you know, I just had this very strong instinct that I would be a more effective coach than the average coach, but I wasn't sure. And I started by coaching people in the real estate industry just because I had a huge database there. I knew a lot of people. I was well-networked in the real estate industry. Uh, but I was terrified. The first thing I was terrified of was, what am I going to talk to people about for a whole hour? Right? Like That scared the living daylights out of me. So I made a plan. And the plan was, you know what, I'll coach five people at a time. That way everyone will talk for five or ten minutes and the hour will pass with ease. Right? I won't have to worry about time. The second thing I worried about is what if they ask me about real estate and I don't have the answers? And so what I did was I hired a real estate coach to co-coach my first course with me. And I, I swear I had five people in the course. I charged them each $100 for 10 weeks of coaching. Again, this was like 12 years ago. And I paid this guy $1,000. So I lost $500 on my first coaching round. <laughs> because I was insecure. I was unsure. I didn't know what I was doing and I needed backup. I needed to fortify myself. So let's call that the price of education. And very, very shortly thereafter, what I learned was A, I didn't need that guy and that wasn't the kind of coaching they were looking for. And B, I understood that I was really onto something from the get-go with journaling. And C, I also understood that I had a very, very strong natural coaching instinct. And over the years, of course, that's developed. Now the years of experience have fortified me. But way back then, I had these people who were willing to try coaching with me. I called it a pilot so that I was allowed to make mistakes. But the feedback I got was, wow, that was amazing. And I really was so green. That is great. That's a wonderful story. Thanks for sharing it. Now, what was your darkest moment? In my life or yeah. in the span of my yeah, life? Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, was... yeah, I think getting divorced was pretty, was pretty difficult. And then, you know, how the events unfolded and I ended up selling my shares of my last business, that was a pretty tough time. Because really, for me, my whole identity was wrapped up in my business. And all of a sudden, I had to take a really sharp right turn. And, you know, who am I now? Like, all of a sudden, I'm a single mom. I uh, I don't have my business and I had to really recreate myself. That was a very, very difficult time. And I will say this, that I use my journal to help me through it. That is great. Do you recall any of the negative self-talk that you were experiencing when that first happened to you? Sure. I mean, I got married very young. I was 20 years old when I got married. I was about, you know, close to, I guess, 30 or 35 when I got divorced and you know the, the self-talk was like what happened what's wrong with me am I not lovable like am I ever gonna find someone that is a good fit for me like why didn't that work you know wasn't I worth fighting for whatever all that crap mm. that goes on in your brain mm-hmm I'm really glad you're sharing this because I mean everyone has to face some form of battle with that negative chatter and uh, when people recognize that everyone goes through it it gives them it should give them hope and strength and inspiration to carry on and change the self-talk hence change your story change your life what is the biggest mistake you've made professionally and or personally uh, well, I mean, we could lump them into the same category, personally and professionally. When I sold my business, I had no real experience in how to sell businesses. Like, I just didn't understand tax implications. Like, there were just so many things I didn't understand. And so I thought, like, I came out with a pretty good deal. And then a few years later, I got uh, zinged with a, a $300,000 tax bill. 
And so, boy, did that affect me personally and professionally. Like, I just didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I had to quickly figure that out and and fix that mistake. So I would say that was a pretty big mistake. That's pretty big. Yeah, that would be yeah. enough to crawl, to uh, to cause a little uh, uh, sleeplessness. <laughs> well, uh, and I'll tell you, it, it did ruffle my feathers a little. I don't know that it caused any sleeplessness. Um, and I think it has to do with my kind of mental view of money, which is money comes and goes, and I have the ability to make money. So if there's a bill I have to pay, I pay it. And I quickly find a way to make more and so i have a very easy attitude about money and i think that helps me a great deal helps you a lot yes that's the abundance mindset that um, is incredibly important to have if you're going to succeed at anything what is the burning why that fires you up every morning you know, Lou, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> a lot of people ask, what's your why? And I'll, and I'll answer you, but then I'll, I'll give you something else. You know, what's my why? I, I, I get up, I go do what I love to do because I get to do what I love to do. And when I do it, I'm in my zone, right? Like I get to, I get to live in that state of totally being ignited, engaged, involved. I don't know if you can hear that from me right now. Totally engaged and ignited. And, and you know, really that's my why. But the bigger question, and I like to ask this of my clients, is not so much what's your why, but what's your why not? What's getting in your way? What's preventing you from living the life you want? I think that's the harder question to answer. And I think it's the more important question to answer because at the end of the day, everybody's why is pretty similar. Like, why do you want to reach that goal? Well, because I think it's going to make me happy. I think it's going to light me up. I think it's going to you know, make me feel great. Everybody has the same why fundamentally, but everybody's why not is a little different. And once we identify the why not and really address it and move it out of the way, then people stand a chance of living their why. I love that. I mean, it's it's a wonderful perspective. As you were talking, I, I concede it. I can see it. Uh, I think that there is room for uh, thinking that not everybody has the same why. Like, for instance... I know people who are driven very, very strongly by a sense of philanthropic contribution. But and, why are they? Yeah, I guess, yeah. What, you know, that, that is a great question. That, that brings us back to what Tony Robbins talks about, that there are basically only about six real human needs. You know, is it for significance? Is it for um, a sense of... Um, belonging but That's, even so even so if we look at significance and sense of belonging okay you call them needs and i accept that but if i feel my need to belong what why do i feel it because i think it's going to make me feel good if i feel my need for significance why do i need to feel because i think it's going to make me feel good okay but you know this is fun why would somebody be more be let's say feel good uh, get their get their feel good hit from let's say from, from 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 let's let's say from painting or from acting or singing as opposed to going to Malawi and helping the starving uh, and dying children there Okay, you know? so there are two reasons, two reasons. So if a painter is really great at painting and painting lights them up and makes them feel good, then that's why they would go for painting, right? So it's still based on the concept of when I do what lights me up, I feel good. When I go to Malawi and help feed starving children, I'm in my zone and I feel good. I'm lit up. I'm engaged, right? And I feel good. So it's the same driver. But let's go one step further. So why does one person get lit up by feeding starving children and one gets lit up by, I don't know, being the best hockey player on the planet? It's because of their beliefs about what's valuable and important in this world, mm -hmm. right? And so our beliefs fundamentally run our lives. They determine, they drive us. They determine how we live. They determine what our behavior is. So for example, I'll flip it around. If I believe that I don't have the skills to be a hockey player, I'm never even going to try, 
I'm going to say, well, that's not for me. And so my life is a function of or a reflection of what I believe to be true. So imagine 12 years ago if I didn't believe that I could for a minute coach anyone. Would this company ever be? Not a chance. I had to have some level of belief that I could do this better than others. I had to. Otherwise, I wouldn't have given it a shot. And so those are the two elements at play here. You know what? Not only do I love it, but do you realize that I just got you to give the biggest uh, plug for my podcast? Because what you're talking about is beliefs, which is what I would call the story. And when, yeah. you, cha- when you change that story, you change your life. So thank you for that. A hundred percent. That's why I was exactly excited to be on the show. Wonderful. This is great. So what are your biggest strengths that enrich your work and your life? My biggest strengths are looking at things that everybody take for granted, that everybody takes for granted, and kind of questioning them like I just did now. Everybody asks, what's your why? And I think to myself, that's not the important question. So I, I challenge Um, standard ways of thinking. That is definitely a strength. The other strength that I have is that I'm an amazing coach. And the reason I'm an amazing coach is because I have really, really strong instincts and I'm not afraid to follow them. That's great. That is so wonderful too that you're a person who comfortably owns those strengths. Don't you find that a lot of people, like I know when I was in one of the personal development courses I took with T. Harv Eker, in fact, David Wood was a facilitator, we came up on the concept that most people are much better at giving than they are at receiving. Yep. And so when it comes to owning their greatness, they, uh, they, they try to diminish it. Whereas what you just said was... Owning it 100%, and it's not arrogance. It's just confidence from knowing that that is your gift. That's important. Well, it's also knowing what I'm really not good at. (laughs) So, you know, if I could be good at one or two things, I'm okay with that, and I can let the rest of it all go. So so I guess you're not a great hockey player, right? I'm really not. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say are your biggest weaknesses? Um, for me, you know, I'm not a very good micromanager. I, I like the big picture. There are a lot of details that need to be balanced and and I am detail oriented, but I prefer to let someone else deal with them. So, you know, administration, uh, all that stuff. Oh gosh, just please someone else do that. I'm like that too. You have a, uh, you're coming from a place of great creativity and creatives have a problem with that. Most of them do. Uh, I think David does too. And, uh, oh yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, he definitely does. <laughs> you know? Now, how do you balance your career and your life as a wife and mom to five children? That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Okay. So here's another moment where I challenge traditional thinking, right? Everybody thinks, everybody thinks that balance is the thing to go for, right? Balance is king. But what happens? Like pretend you're at a, uh, an amusement park and you're on a seesaw. What happens when you're in perfect balance? It's boring. Nothing happens. Nothing. It's boring. So is balance what I'm after? Not so much. I'm not so much after balance. What I'm after is engagement, passion, involvement what i'm after is really being lit up and enjoying my life and so that's not always a life of balance that's a life of you know action is more like it right there's a i have five children i'm remarried so i have three step kids and two kids of my own and man my life is active and sometimes it's a little tiring but i wouldn't trade it in for anything what's the age range of your children my youngest is 17. She just had her prom last night, so I hardly slept last night. <laughs> and uh, the oldest is 23, and he's about to start his own board game cafe. So we've got a lot of things going on in in the middle of all that. Wow. Board game cafe, another young entrepreneur. Are you familiar with Grant Cardone? Yes, I am, actually. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of him because he, you know, his book is Be Obsessed. 
and he 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 really immediately you know gets rid of the concept of balance. He's not about for him. It's about obsession, and um, it's very interesting to hear what you have to say about that. Right. Who is your ideal client? So my ideal client has four things in common. Number one, they're the driven type. They're, they have big goals that they want to achieve. Typically, they're either entrepreneurs, professionals, or executives. Number two is that they're good people. So they are the philanthropists. They're the people who go and build homes for humanity. They're, they have charitable natures. They help their neighbors. They're just good people. Number three is that they like the finer things in life. They like to travel. They like to eat good food, drink good wine. They like to be in great shape. They want to have amazing sex lives. They want to you know, have great relationships and want to be amazing parents. And number four is they tend to get stuck and they get tend to be in their own way. And so they're overwhelmed, frustrated, stressed. Um, they're leaders and things don't always work the way they want things to work. And so that is my client. Fabulous. I love the way you're so specific and you really, really understand who the client is. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, sounds like I'm your perfect client, but then, no, but then you got to stuck. I said, well, I'm perfect. I never get stuck. No, never. <laughs> so, you know, I guess I'm not your perfect client. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest problem that you solve for people? What I do fundamentally is I help people align their thinking with their biggest goals and desires. So when things are off, when people are frustrated, annoyed, stressed out, it's really a reflection of how they think. And what I do is I help them own and master their thinking so that they are able to live the lives of their dreams, live with more ease, more joy, more peacefulness. That's what I do for people. It's fantastic. Are you familiar with Shakespeare's commentary about uh, the contradiction between what people say and what people do? I am not, but go ahead and tell me because I think I'm going to love it. I think you will. Your actions speak so loudly that I cannot hear your words. There you go. Isn't that great? yeah, and what I have found is that the way people behave is really deeply a reflection of the way they think. And very often their thinking is completely uh, in it clashes, you could say, completely clashes with what they really want. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's the unconscious behavior, the unconscious drives that are uh, leading them to certain actions, and, uh, but their mouth says something else. That's right. Yeah. What is your favorite book? So there's a book that I read years ago, but always stands out for me. It's a book by a gentleman named Benjamin Zander, and he is the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra, and it's called The Art of Possibility. And what he does is he allows us to consider for a moment a completely different view of human nature. It's awesome. It's fun to read. He's a great writer. He's a storyteller. And he really forces us to stretch our thinking and just look at things very, very differently. Is it Xander with a Z? The Xander? Yeah. Yes. Correct. On both counts. (laughs) Z for my American storytellers and Z for my, my Canadian ones. What about a favorite quote? Uh, Well, it's the one that we use around here all the time, and it's what you focus on grows. And who do you attribute that to? Yeah, so lots of people have have, uh, written lots of versions of that one, but I actually wrote a book called What You Focus On Grows, so I'll take the credit for that one. Oh, you wrote a book? Wonderful. Do you have any other books that you've written that you'd like to um, let our storytellers know about? Uh, well, I am working on another one, so I'll wait for that one to go public before I share all the details. Okay. Where do you see yourself in five years, Kim? Uh, well, my team is growing. I have a team of coaches, and uh, we're coaching more and more people. And what do I see in five years? I see this model of coaching starting to infiltrate Uh, more of the corporate sector and so that leaders are going to learn how to do frame of mind coaching and how to coach their team so my goal is to really turn leaders into coaches or rather my philosophy is great leaders have coaching skills and so in five years we're going to be at the forefront of training leaders how to coach effectively have you done a, a ted talk 
Not yet. Someone just asked me that this week. Well, as, as you were speaking, I'm saying, what a wonderful platform to bring this topic to. Yeah, you know what? So here's my uh, the that voice in my head, you know, the uh, and that voice in my head says, I'm not ready for that. Or that voice says, I need to get ready for that. I need help. Who can help me prep for a TED talk? Okay, uh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to help you right now. Okay, I'm going to blow it out of the water for you. You're brilliant. You're articulate. You know what you're doing. I met a woman through a film festival here uh, a couple of years ago. She is a female pornographer. Now, I'm not putting her down. I'm not saying she's bad or she's stupid. But her subject is pornography and why she wants to bring more pornography into the world. She did a TED Talk on that. I, I watched it. It was okay. But if she could do that, and people listened and many really engaged with it, you could certainly bring this wonderful topic, which is so valuable to people, and you could do it yesterday. Well, if you know anyone who could help me do that in 18 minutes, I would be totally open to talking to that person. Is it an 18-minute thing? Well, TED Talks are usually 18 minutes, so... Uh, you know, you have to go in. It's completely polished. It's a one-man show. I do a lot of presentations, and usually my presentations are very interactive, but TED Talks are not. It's a monologue, so you need to be prepared, and you need to be completely polished from start to finish and eliminate any extraneous language, and so, yeah, you need you need a little, you need a little help with that. You need a coach to really make you get, help you get there. Okay. We should continue this conversation after the interview. How can people contact you? So best, best way to contact us is by going to frameofmindcoaching.com. And I invite anyone who's listening uh, to explore the site. And on the front page, there's something called an assessment. Assess your frame of mind. And that's a wonderful thing to do because if you are wanting to reach your goals and you're frustrated and things aren't quite working out the way you want them to, whether you're an entrepreneur or a network marketer or a professional or an executive, whoever you are, and you want things to be just a little bit different, the most important starting point is to understand where you're facing right now, right? What's your beginning? Where are you currently? Without understanding where you are right now, it's really, really hard to point you in the right direction. So take that assessment, try it out. Part of them, uh, part of the questions are journaling questions, and that's a really good place to start to identify the beliefs that you have that are really holding dominion over your life. So frameofmindcoaching.com. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Very, very helpful. Any final words for our storytellers. Well, my final words are this, is that, you know, Lou, you came into my life 12 years ago, and here you are again. And really, my observation of life is things come around over and over and over again. And so consider every re uh, interaction as something that is leaving a profound mark on your life. Not everything is a passing moment. Some things really come back around. And I've never left that as a final moment, but wow, this couldn't be a better example. Well, you know, th thank you so much. You know, I really, I'm excited because I remember when I first met you and you were, you were good at what you were doing then. But, you know, like you said, we haven't communicated. We haven't been on each other's radar for 12 years. And it's really wonderful right. to, to listen to what you, what you bring to the world right now because it's, it's valuable uh, I love your contrarian um, point of view, which is really important. And yeah, this is just great. You've given tremendous value here today. I want to thank you so much for enriching our storytellers and enriching my day. Thank you so much. It was really an honor and what a great opportunity. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. To be continued. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending another enriching hour with us. I think you'll agree that Kim has a lot to offer. And one of the things that I valued the most today is her contrarian view of the world. 
with that in mind, challenge yourself to look at situations, problems, challenges in your life through a different lens, and you just may be amazed at what comes up for you. To help stimulate your mind, take advantage of the offer from our sponsor, Audible, and pick up one of the free downloadable audiobooks and also get access to all of Audible's service for free for one month. You heard me mention Grant Cardone's Be Obsessed or Be Average, and Kim highly recommends The Art of Possibility by Benjamin Zander. You can choose one of those titles for free or select from the thousands of books that they offer you. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Of course, remember to pay the value of this podcast forward. Let people know that they can hear it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And at the website, all of you have access to the downloadable free ebook that I created for you, Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Continue your dialogue with me. Send your comments, takeaways, and requests to lewis at changeyourstorypodcast.com. And that is L-O-U-I-S at changeyourstorypodcast.com. During the next week, think about what gaps do you have between the things that you say you want and the things that you actually do. Then believe that you can eliminate any gap you want. Begin by asking this question, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.